Now, um, as you know, we've been, uh, we started through going through a series uh, in 1 John, and that we've entitled, That You Might Know. Now, I want to just briefly explain something to you before we get into the message tonight. Some of the things that John is going to talk about and does talk about in his letter when he talks about that you might know could seem as though he is trying to encourage people to do certain things. So Brad spoke uh, last week about the whole issue of obedience. I'm going to talk about the whole issue of love tonight. And John's appeal is not this. He's not saying to us, I want to encourage you to love one another. What he's saying is this. Because you love one another, you know that God has done something in your life. There is, he, there's almost, when you read John, there's a reason to celebrate. He's saying, when you look at what God has done, when you look at the power of the gospel in your life, when you begin to experience the dynamic work of God in your life, we can celebrate because we know that we know we belong to Him. You see, that's the power that he's talking about. He's talking about the power of the gospel. So that's why we've taken that theme, this is how you will know. There are, there are certain pointers that we can look at in our lives, and we can know that we have been saved, that God is at work in our lives. Now, one of the, the reasons that John is writing is that there were some very influential teachers who were going around, and they were, they were causing confusion in the minds of people. And so as he writes, he wants his audience, he wants the people that he is writing to, to be confident about what they believed. He wanted them to be confident about the fact that they actually knew God. In chapter uh, 2 and verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John, when he writes, is not just writing because he's somebody who's heard about Jesus. You know the broken telephone? You, you speak to somebody who's never spoken to the originator of the message, and the, it goes from person to person, and eventually when you get the message, it sounds nothing like what you ever heard in the beginning. And John is saying as he writes, and, and you'll see that he speaks about it in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, I'm not just one of those who heard about Jesus. I'm one of the 12 who was with Jesus. I personally heard him. He personally discipled me. I heard what he had to say. So, so when some other guys come and start saying things to you, you can't believe them. They weren't around. They didn't know what Jesus said. But I know what Jesus said. And so what I say to you, you can, you can bet your life on it that it's true. Verse 1 of chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, says John, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And one of the things that I've realized is that uh, as Christians living in the 21st century, we're going to be exposed to a whole whack of false teaching. And, and you can be sure that you're going to be exposed to that, to, to false teaching because of all the multimedia that we've got everybody's got access to our minds. Everybody's got access to our hearts. You just need to put on YouTube. You just need to go on the TV. You need to go on certain channels. You can listen to anybody in the world in what they say. You can hear their viewpoints. And so as Christians, we need to be a, a lot more discerning about what we believe. Uh, if I can say tonight, there is a lot of junk being preached out there. 
There are things that cause me as a pastor grave concern when I see people getting a hook, line, and sink. They're getting sucked into this stuff. They're living their lives around a lot of junk. And we need to go back and say, what has God said in the Word about these things? Listen to what Timothy warns us about. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Guys, it's the later times. There are people following stuff that's taught by demons. And they're quite happy to be open about what they believe. In fact, they would like to influence us in what they believe as well. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. At Connect Church, we want you to be confident about what you believe. We want you to be confident that you're following Jesus and not just some attractive teaching that sounds really good. Now, one of the reasons we can be so confident that we genuinely know the Lord is because we love one another. That's what John is going to talk about over here. In other words, one of the undeniable evidences that we are true followers of Jesus is that we love one another. Now, let's read what he says in chapter 3. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? This is quite astounding. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. What is he saying about Cain and Abel? That people who are ungodly actually hate godly people. That's what he's trying to point out. You say, you know, and the reason he points that out is because that's sometimes really hard for us to believe. That when we're going to be godly and loving people that the world is going to celebrate us. Friends, that's actually not true. The world's going to persecute us for that. Listen to what he goes on to say. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. I mean, that's quite radical. We're going around, we want to be loving like Jesus. We want to care for people like Jesus. And it says the world's going to hate us. And that's hard to get your head around. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Or let's turn that around. You know because you love, you do have eternal life in you. That's his point. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He goes on to unpack what that's all about. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, now, 
the first reason that, that John says that loving one another is undeniable evidence that we know that God is at work in our lives because Jesus came to start a revolution. He didn't come to start a re another religion. And I, I want to use that word carefully because there are people that have started revolutions in the name of Jesus. But I believe when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus fundamentally came to start a revolution among people like you and me. Listen to what Jesus himself says in John 13, John's gospel. A new command I give you, love one another. And then he, he explains what that means. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is not loving one another like everybody else in the world does. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, Christian love. When we love other people like Jesus loved them, will convince an unbelieving world that we are really his followers. Friends, when we love one another the way that he loved us, the world will know that he are, we are his followers. That's why John says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. But then John goes on to say, do not be like Cain who killed his brother Abel, because we are going to discover that when we love people like Jesus, the world is not going to celebrate us. It's going to persecute us. I want to say that for an important reason tonight. I think many Christians have in their minds that when we become like Jesus, everybody's going to rah-rah us. And they're going to celebrate us. And everybody's going to look at us and they're going to say, what awesome people they are. I've got news for you. John was speaking from good experience. He said, rather than them doing that, they're going to persecute you. You know what they did to Jesus when he loved people? When, when, he took, when, he, when a sinful woman came to him, he said, your sins are forgiven you. When he would walk around healing people and touching lepers and restoring the lives of broken people, you know what they did to Jesus? They nailed him on a cross for loving people like that. And he said, if they did that to me, how much more as my disciples are you likely to face that as well? And, and I really want to share, share that with you because I found in my own life there's kind of that tendency to want to be celebrated. It's kind of, there's kind of deep down that desire, well, I just trust that people will really be, you know, they'll really be influenced and impacted by my life, and hopefully they are. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Now, one of the things that's really hard to get our, life, our, our heads around is that the world will hate us for being followers of Jesus until we realize that Jesus came to start a revolution, not another religion. Let me, let me unpack that. It's a revolution in the way people love one another. Friends, it's revolutionary to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a revolution. Every other religion will talk about the way that people should treat one another. Jesus said, I want to go way beyond that. I want to say to you, as my followers, I want you to love, pray for those who persecute you, and I want you to love your enemies. Friends, that's a revolution. That's, and that's not like anything else in the world. It's a revolution in the way that people care for one another. 
He says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? It was the law of love. You know why we carry each other's burdens? Because we love one another. That's why we do that. That's a revolution. It's a revolution in the way that people forgive one another. You know God never asked you to forgive one another because people deserved forgiveness. He asked you to forgive them because he forgave you. That's a revolution. Because you know what I find myself doing, and I've heard it so many times as a pastor, when somebody comes to me and they say to me, John, such and such has done this to me, and I'm so angry with them, I want to half kill them. And I say to them, the Bible says you need to forgive them, and they ask me this question, so why should I do it? And the answer is never because they deserve it. The answer is because you forgive it. It's always that. You remember that parable? of, the, of the, the servant who, who owed his master so much and, and, and his master said, throw him into prison until he pays everything that he owes. And he came and he begged his master. He said, please, won't you write it off? Won't you forgive me? Won't you give me time? And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write off all your debts. And then that same servant went and found one of his fellow servants. And he grabbed him around the throat. And this guy owed him a pittance. And he said, pay me all you owe me. And the guy said, I've got nothing. I can't do it. And he said, well, throw him into prison and sell his kids and, and wife and all the rest of it until he pays everything. He wouldn't have mercy on him. And then the king heard about it. His master heard and he said, what's going on here? I've forgiven you an incredible amount, more than you could have paid me back in a whole lifetime. And this is how you respond. Friends, it's a revolution of forgiveness. It's a revolution in the way that people of different cultures will embrace and accept one another. Do you notice it says in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile? He's saying that there, something supernatural happens when we come together as believers. There's no longer such a thing as culture divides us because Christ unites us. We are different. You see, if your Christianity is anything less than this, we have not really grasped what the gospel is all about. I think that's why Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow you. You can't live like this until you've died to yourself. Now, as John describes this revolutionary love, he said it's, it's going to be something that will be evident among believers. You're always going to find that where you find God's people. You're going to find people loving one another. He says this in verse 14, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now the thing that got me, the thing that I thought about when I read that verse is, it should be quite easy for us to love other Christians, shouldn't it? Until you get to know them. Until you find out what they're really like. Then you will discover how hard it is. You see, it's easy to love somebody when you don't really know them. Because you only look at the outward appearance. But when you get to hear about all the things they've done and, and the things that, that aren't so lacquer to you, and sometimes they're going to irritate you, and sometimes they're going to say things that aren't so lacquer, and then you've got to say, God, do you expect me to love them? And he says, hey, yes, love them. You see, it's not so easy to love other Christians. 
it's a lot harder than that. And this is what John is saying. Even though this is true, even though we come from different culture groups, even though we come from with different backgrounds, even though we come in so many different ways, we are different to one another. He says, because you love one another, you know that you've been born of God. And you know what the most beautiful thing to me about the church is? That people love one another, and if it wasn't for Christ, they wouldn't be in this place. We wouldn't be here tonight. We wouldn't be sitting with each other. We're not going to have a cup of coffee outside because of any other reason than we are saved and born again of the Spirit of God. That's nothing short of a miracle. Luke put it like this. He said, if you love those who loved you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. You think you're special for loving people who love you? See, the rest of the world does that. What makes you special is you love people who are not so nice. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to find them in the church. Isn't that nice? So, so loving one another just like Jesus means that some of you are not going to have coffee with your mates tonight. Because you're going to try and get to know somebody else by talking to them and getting to know them because that's what John is talking about. He's talking about believers who are intentional because of changed hearts and changed lives. They choose to love and so they do things differently to the rest of the world. Some of us might go home a bit poorer tonight because you will discover there are others who really need your help. And so you might need to take out your wallet tonight. I mean, didn't he say in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be? That means fundamentally, if Christ is in your life and Christ has transformed you, you're going to dip, dip into your wallet sometime. That's what it's about. Some years ago, I read a book. I, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was written by the... Uh, a man by the name of Carlos Ortiz. And uh, he was ministering in South America and he was preaching in his church on a Sunday morning. I want to tell you the title of his sermon. His sermon was entitled, Love One Another. So what he did, he got up to preach like I am tonight. And he said, the Lord's word to you today is love one another. And then he did this. He went and sat down in the seat. And he waited. And you know what Christians do when there's too much silence? They get edgy. He said, everybody was like, is there somebody that's meant to bring a song out to him now? What's going on over here? And then he went up to the front again after about a minute or two, and he said, uh, my message this morning is love one another. And he sat down again. People were kind of nudging one another and saying, what's going on over here? So he came up for the third time. He said, uh, friends, the word of the Lord to my sermon this morning is, love one another. And he went and sat down again. This time he didn't come back. You know what started to happen in the church? Let me tell you the truth. This is a true story. People started to look at one another and say, how can I love you? I don't even know your name. I don't know anything about you. 
I don't know how, where you've come from. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. And, and, and if I'm going to love you, I at least need to know you. And people started to shake hands with each other and started to introduce themselves to one another and say, hey, my name is John. And that guy that was up over here is the youth pastor from Glasgow. And he's also John. Maybe we're going to have coffee afterwards. And he said he did that for six weeks, every Sunday morning. And he said, slowly but surely, people started to get it. That they weren't there to listen to a sermon, they were there to obey the Lord. Isn't it true that we've become a generation that wants a good sermon? Isn't it very uncomfortable when we get a good one, we don't like it? Here's a good sermon, love one another. Should I sit down? That sounds like a nervous laugh. <laughs> this is a genuine story. It moved from there where, where people started, as they started hearing each other's stories, uh, some people discovered that there were people that had come to that service. They'd spent their last few, whatever money they use over there, uh, they'd spent their last money to actually get to church. They didn't have a way of getting home. People were taking out money and said, you're my brother and I need to love you. I want to pay for you to get home tonight. People started to talk to each other and they, they found out that some of the people who'd come to church didn't have a job and they were desperate. And, you know, they said, well, I know somebody who's actually looking to employ somebody. Can't I introduce the two of you? And suddenly people who didn't have jobs started finding jobs. That's what it means when it says love one another. That, that makes sense to you. That, that, this is what John is talking about when he speaks about loving one another. This is how we know what love is, verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Guys, that's a serious statement. I think it's important that we keep that in focus. Loving one another, I think has to be intentional because there's, there are times that the flesh in me resists that. You know that. I know that. I've been a Christian for more years than I care to imagine now. But I know the flesh in me sometimes doesn't want to love people because of, and I can always give you a reason. Galatians 5 says, love is the fruit of the Spirit in your life and in my life. But then John goes on and he makes another radical statement about love. He says this, loving one another like Jesus did is the result of a very powerful transformation that has taken place in people's lives. He says, verse 14, we know that we've passed from death to life because we Come on, guys, are you with me? We know that we've passed from death to life because we... I'm going to sit down. We know that we've passed from death to life because we... Love one another. You see, this is why John says what he does about love. Because there were teachers going around who were saying it's what you know that's important. They were called Gnostics. 
weren't a fancy word for them. They were going around and they were talking about it's what you know that's important. And John refutes that by saying Christianity is not about how much you know, but how much you've changed. Paul said in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Friends, if you're a Christian, that's got to be your motto. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Verse 16 again of 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And the apostle John is saying this, guys, when you see yourself loving one another like this, you need to know that you're born again. You need to know that you know God. You need to be sure that you believe us when you love one another like this. Do you remember what, Do you remember that little guy that climbed up a tree to see Jesus one day? Some of you remember his name? Anybody? Oh, wow. I'm quite impressed with your Bible knowledge tonight. This guy climbed up a tree. His name was Zacchaeus. And Jesus came to the tree and he said, climb down there. We need to have an eyeball. And, he, and his first opening words to Jesus are quite profound. Because he was, you remember he was a tax collector. And what did tax collectors do excellently? They ripped people off. They, were, they had a, a master's degree in ripping people off. And so he stands in front of Jesus, obviously a wealthy guy, and he says, Jesus, half of all of my possessions I give away to the poor. And he said, for the people that I've ripped off, I'm going to pay them back four times over. You know what Jesus said when he heard that? Salvation's come to this house. You know why? When you change unbelievably that you can't explain it, the only reason is salvation has come into your life. People only do things like this when God has been at work in their lives. I'm really glad you've all come to church tonight, especially the guys from, from Scotland. But I also want to add that if you're a Christian and if you've passed from death to life, that means after this meeting, we're going to go and love one another. We are not just here to sing songs and listen to a sermon. Anybody can do that. But Christians love one another as well. That's what John is saying. And then John tops it all by saying this. Love is cheap. Sorry, talk is cheap. <laughs> talk is cheap. But loving one another will cost you something. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in God's rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. You see, because there were so many romantic ideas about love, John gets right to the point. When we love one another like Jesus did, and it cost him a lot, you and I both know, or all know, should I say, that to love one another actually costs you. Loving actually costs you. You see, when you go up to somebody that you don't particularly get on with, and you choose to love them, it costs you, doesn't it? It might cost you emotionally. It might cost you a bit of your pride. It might cost you a bit of getting over yourself. 
when you forgive somebody who has hurt you and it does it, they don't deserve to be forgiven, let me say to you, that costs you. It costs you. And you see, when Jesus died because he loved you, it cost him as well. Friends, I'm absolutely convinced of this. Christian love is always costly to the giver. I think this is important because talking about it, discussing it, having a Bible study on it, listening to a sermon on love only counts if we're going to do it. So John says, whenever our hearts condemn us, when we start to doubt, go right back to the fact that you could never be like this and I could never be like this unless God has changed you. This is very important because John finishes on quite an interesting note. He finishes on the note that there are people that he's writing to who actually doubt. There are some of you who doubt tonight. You look at your life and you listen to the sermon and you say, John, I'm not even close to that. You see, the whole point is we're on a journey with God. None of us have arrived here. There's not one person tonight that can say, I love other people perfectly yet. But this you do know, you've changed. This you do know, that your heart is different. This you do know, you desire to love people. This you do know, you're working on things in your life because you want to be different. Friends, and John says, when your hearts condemn us, you need to know, God accepts you because of Christ, not because of what you've done. Does that make sense? God is bigger than our hearts. He's not expecting perfection. Otherwise, the Bible would never say, that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work within you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It's not over, guys. We're still on a journey. But you need to be sure of this tonight. If you know Christ, you are changed. I'm changed. Loving one another takes place because of what the Holy Spirit doing in our lives. None of you would be able to love each other like Jesus except for the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I don't know what you were looking for when you wanted to know if the Holy Spirit was at work in you. But if you are planning to love people, it's only because no other reason. But it's also because we want to be a different kind of person. Philippians, I shared that with you. It's God who's at work within you, both to will and to act. And John's encouragement is this. When you find yourself starting to love people like this, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Friends, tonight, we are here celebrate what Christ has done. I'm so excited I could preach this message tonight because my message tonight is not about trying to tell you what to do. My message is telling you you're going to do that because Christ has changed you anyway. It's all because of Him that you're different. 
It's all because of Christ that I'm different. It's all because of the power of the gospel that I'm different. It's all because of the Holy Spirit that I'm different. We are different tonight because of Him, and we can celebrate that tonight. You know what you're going to find sometimes? Sometimes you're going to blow it. Have any, any of you ever blown it? Well, just put your hand up. Oh, I'm glad I've got some people who've blown it like me. You know what the nice thing is? You can go back to Him. You can say, God, I know that you still love me. You know what, Lord? I don't plan to stay like that. I want to be different. I want to change. God, will you help me again? Like you helped me yesterday. Like you helped me to love that miserable person. Because some of them are. Like you helped me. Can you do that miracle again? You see, because every one of you is a living miracle tonight of being born again by the Spirit of the Lord. Won't you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Astrid and the team. <clears throat> I want you to ask you to do something different tonight as we pray before we worship some more. I'm going to ask you if you know Jesus tonight, I want you to raise your hands and say, we, I'm raising my hands in celebration tonight. We are celebrating the work of Christ. We are celebrating the gospel. We are celebrating the transforming power of Christ. We are celebrating the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work here. Friends, we've come to celebrate Jesus as the church. And God, we come and we raise our hands before you tonight. And we want to say thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for transforming our lives. Thank you for changed heart. Thank you for changed minds. Thank you for changed perspective. We give you glory tonight. You never failed, God. We are living proof of that. And we say together as the church, thank you, Jesus. Amen.